Grambling, dear Grambling, we love thee, dear old Grambling. Okay. Right. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Think I'm up to something Dirty feet, I'm running Nigga, trying to find my way, 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 way I ain't got no man no way to navigate I say fuck it, they gon' jump me anyway Fuck it Welcome to another episode of Unapologetically HBCU Today, we have with us Lanika Adelia It's your boy Jordan Hello, it's Charcelyn And it is I Caesar Harvey. <laughs> Today we will be discussing accountability and involvement in the land of HBCU and what that looks like presently and for the future, what improvements could be made. The floor is open. The floor, what is it called? The doors of the church are open? <laughs> the, the doors of the church have been let's open. Let's get into it. Let's, let's get into it. So, well. Go ahead. Is that before or after ties? Go ahead, Jordan. I was just going to say, I think we need a Chick-fil-A on every yard. Every campus needs one. And we can really start there to increase student life. It will raise some of the uh, nutritional standards at the HBCUs to start with food and everybody will be happy. With fried chicken? I mean, couldn't you have went slutty <laughs> vegan? At least they're black owned yeah, and at least health conscious, conscious. You went to Chick-fil-A and who ain't even open Sundays. on Sundays and don't even like everybody. Yeah, Jordan. You're trying to get us. No, no, no. This is great. No, this is great. Because he was like, I just, now drive, we I just drove the company. Exactly. Because now we're talking about vegetables and all the food deserts we got out there in the black community and how uh some of the leadership that works at these HBCUs could also help bring that to student life. But that's just probably really further down the pipe. There are some other larger issues like housing and other things that I would really like for, you know, the the leadership at, at the uh, universities to work on. And that includes, you know, SGA, Student Government Associations, uh, Black Student Alliances, Black Student Unions, uh, all of those entities that exist across the HBCU uh, political sphere. You know, there, there are a number of issues, but I do think um, student life in terms of, of food options, just because, I mean, that, that just helps overall health. And I do think residential should be some issues that we continue to work toward as we, you know, improve the legacy of HBCUs. Because when, when something is in the news, it's typically residential or student life-based. It's not, it's not always sports-related or anything of that nature. But if, if your dorm is not good, and your calf is closed or has weird hours, you won't see some angry letters on Twitter and on Instagram. Yeah, and I think, at least for us, most HBCUs are in food deserts. Like, in the West End, for us, when you go up the street, you got a American Deli at the mall, you got a churches, a Popeyes, a KFC down the other street, and it's like, get lower. Like, and I, I do think that that's a, a good point to like hold people accountable when it comes down to what they serve us. And at least for the calf hours, especially around finals, the calf, you hungry and the calf closed. Mm-hmm. But also, do you think that the school should have or allow black businesses to be the provider, like hold a certain amount of spots or availability for black businesses to pour back into the school and be able to be showcased as well like wouldn't it be a win for everybody I want to know how that works because I know uh Morehouse at one point I had Papa John's and then Papa John's had that whole racial debacle Mm -hmm. when Morehouse they was like all right cool we done with Papa John's I'm not sure if they're allowing like these bigger uh fast food places to come on campus for like money purposes because they have like the financial reach or they're donating i don't know like the back end his history of people coming because when i was there we got a starbucks morehouse got a chick-fil-a we ended up getting the subway and all this extra stuff so i don't know like what's the what's on the back end like when it comes down to negotiating who is going to set up shop on campus and who's not yeah but i would say that hbcus do a good job at least i know in the atlanta university center we had designated days where local b- black businesses could come on campus 
to sell their products and to set up shops. So at Spelman, that was Market Fridays. And so you would have people, you know, who had everything ranging from apparel to, you know, health and, and wellness products, um, you know, you name it. They were on campus set up on Market Friday so that students could, you know, interact with those vendors. And let's not forget on the promenade, the Mr. Everything is a Black-owned food truck. It's a restaurant up the street in the West End. They would set up shop right on Clark's campus um, by the library, and they would sell food at least up until 3, 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and that's what I was going to say. That could be something that they, con- they institute implement is having like a food truck area. If you, uh, let's say uh, like the AUC is in a, I'll say a different position than most universities where they're so closely co-mingled that there could be a central location, parking lot, whatever it is. And it could be like, you know, once or twice a month, if not more frequently that it's basically, it's a black food truck park. And you can have a DJ out there, you know what I'm saying? You can have food, and that's a way to bring the universities together. It's a way to pour back into the community and also create camaraderie between the universities. And I know my job just recruited at the AUC. They brought the Slutty Vegan food truck out there to get students to come out because, you know, Slutty uh, Vegan has food truck options. So I, yeah. think, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And I guess just for the listener, what could could we get a little breakdown of study vegan? You know, like what I understand vegan is in the name, but like just a breakdown of like what, what you would, could expect from that. So study vegan was founded by Clark Atlanta University alum Pinky Cole, and she's a vegan, and it's basically all plant based products. Like the first time I had it, you thought I was eating a beef burger. No, <laughs> it was all plant based foods. It's, I mean, you know, your fries, your burgers. Yeah your drinks and all that stuff is is really good yeah it's um it's unique because a lot of the foods are named after you know something in our culture that is often I guess taunted or sexualized but they use it to kind of edify the food so like the first time I went I think I had like was it like a buffalo chicken head or something like that um obviously it wasn't chicken but it was really good um also Um, Pinky Cole is, I want to say, a great example of an alum who has really held herself accountable for putting, you know, putting her HBCU on and those students who are going there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Slutty Vegan really, really blew up. And as that was happening, you know, she was helping to pay for people's tuition at Clark. She was Mm -hmm. really giving back, you know, creating scholarship opportunities, job opportunities. Um, And so, you know, we're always going to rep and support Slutty Vegan for that. Yeah. And then, you know, once you go in there, they'll be like, are you a new slut? Nope. We got a frequent <laughs> slut in here. And I'm like, oh, they yeah. love you so much. Like, you're going to get called yeah. a slut a couple of times, but it's, you know, it's kind of like Moe's. Like, hey, welcome to Moe's. Like, hey, slut. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think uh, the first the first time I went. We all went I together. Got, yeah, it was me, Nick, and Jordan. And I'm almost certain I got a one night stand. This is my favorite. Yeah. Um, and this last time I went when we were home back in July, um, they had some some juices as well that were A1. Yes. Um, it was like a pineapple. I don't know what it was, but it was hidden with the burger and the fries and the, you know, that that combination. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, I think I think food is one of those food like music kind of transcends differences between people. Uh, I think that could be definitely something to um, bring people together, make it a more cohesive uh, environment for. But even for uh, you know, even for you know, current students and alums, because if it's made aware for alums that are in their local area, they can co-mingle and that could be another opportunity to uh, figure out, talk to students, see what's missing, see what the the current students' complaints or uh, recommendations are so that 
the alumni are aware from firsthand, not just from the faculty and the, um, the administration, because, you know, sometimes there's, um, there's this filter that isn't talked about as information is going higher and higher because, you know, whoever the underling is to the top position, they don't want to look bad because they haven't been handling business. So therefore they put a spin on it so that it isn't as bad as what reality is. And I think, I think uh, creating avenues for alumni to connect directly with current students could definitely aid in improving um, the standards that those students are living under or within and also the awareness for uh, alumni far and uh, near. I'm glad that you brought that up because looking at what happened at Howard University with the housing strike, uh, the conditions that the students were living in, I didn't know any of that was happening. And no, I did not go to Howard, but as a person who graduated from HBCU, you feel for students like that because it's like, yeah. like you said, you want to, you know, have everyone have um, safe living conditions. You want everyone to just, you know, save and then have people hold administrative accountable. I, it wasn't until Twitter that I saw yeah. what was happening at Howard University. And I felt so bad because it's like, we have to do better. Yeah. We have to do better. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do still think we have work to do just for all of the things that we have been able to achieve, achieve and accomplish and everything else across the various HBCUs. But Jamal, you said something that really resonated with me. I think a lot of the challenges and um, things that come up are three-pronged approaches. You know, the housing crisis, that, that, that may have been you know, a little different because I'm not necessarily sure what role all three parties, three parties being student, faculty, uh, and alumni, what, what, how they how they really plan that? But like the food piece, you know, just starting there, I, I think we've provided a, a good example of what that would look like. And I also think some of the uh, built-in benefits of that is just kind of cultural awareness, also some health benefits. You know, uh, cultural awareness piece would be if, if you've never been exposed to vegan food, or if it was an African food truck with you know jollof rice, like that. Come from Georgia, and I had was there was no jollof rice in Forsyth, so I didn't really see or experience that until, yeah, right. I, I didn't see or experience that until I got to to, to like an HBCU uh, and just around, you know, you know, more black people. So there's just a lot of benefits there. But I guess to the residential piece, I, I do think it, it it really boils down to having that transparency, but also having the conversation. You know, whether you find out about it on Twitter or otherwise, I do want to say, you know, without knowing all the details, you know, just for everybody's awareness, I do want to say that oftentimes the leadership on the faculty level and student government leadership or the voice of the student about it, they're not always on the same page in, in terms of hearing each other or understanding each other's sides. And that's what I really would like to see more of. You know, uh, from HBCU's perspective, it's not just Howard, you know, it's not just Grambling, but it's across the board. Because that in, in order for our, in order for us to sustain our HBCUs, we have to have clear and transparent communication and actually work toward finding solutions for you know the, the, the challenges that come up. Whether it's challenging, it's, it's financial challenges that, that the faculty is dealing with that students may not be aware of, or if it's residential challenges that just the the students are dealing with it, the faculty might not be aware of. We just have to have more of those conversations. And I think what's interesting is I feel like I wonder how many conversations are being had before students turn to Twitter because everyone knows that once you turn to Twitter, of course, social media, you do a hashtag, everything takes off. And I know when Spelman right. had a housing crisis as well um, before the fall semester, people were saying, but we went to the admin we voice our concerns but this is the only way you know like when you start making headlines this is the only way that we are going to be seen and get our demands met yeah i think that's part of just the new wave of of conflict resolution in general right um in the past if you had a complaint about anything whether it was your college or university or restaurant or hotel that you went to that was bad you know, you kind of had to file that complaint directly with the people who were responsible. 
And I feel like as social media started to become more prevalent, people, you know, who have a gripe with anything have turned to social media to voice their opinions if they're not being heard directly, you know, when they file that complaint. I know if I go to a restaurant and I get poor service and I'm not being, you know, responded well to, I'm going to go leave a comment on your Twitter or Mm -hmm. I'm going to, um, you know, send something on TripAdvisor or leave a bad review on Yelp so that you can get, I can get your attention because now it's no longer between you and I, everyone can see what my problem is. Um, And I think that faculty and staff at HBCUs, um, you know, and maybe I, I could be underestimating this here, but I don't know if they truly have started to grasp and understand that that is where we are now that no longer will you have students just showing up in your office and calling and writing letters and signing petitions. Now it's like, you're going to hear me or everybody is going to hear me, yeah. you know? That, so that being said, do you think schools are going to start having that in their bylaws, like almost NDAs? Can, can you say it one more time? <clears throat> so. I think that being said, okay, the second part of that could be, do you think schools would then start having that in part of their like bylaws that when you come to their school, you sign away the right to say anything publicly or post anything? Because that could be. I I can't see it because that's going to, in this age of my voice is worthy of being heard. They're going to lose students, money, sponsors, so on and so forth. Because if if there is a sponsor that supports your school and your school is trying to impose NDA on their students so that they can't voice their dismay with how things are going, then that brand is also going to lose funds. Because at that point, they are supporting that ideal that your voice or your opinion of what you're going through is insignificant I, and I just can't I can't see I, at the end of the day unfortunately a lot of first world issues are based in that almighty dollar so as long as that is paramount to these organizations these uh, schools brands so on and so forth they're going to do what is most beneficial not to lose money so do we think that the fir- the reaction of going to Twitter or Instagram or whatever with the issue, is that the productive route? Like, do we think that that is, I, well, I think it works. Yeah, I, I was going right. to say, I, I think, think it, it works, but does, does, will it be trivialized later? I don't think so. I think it's very similar to like Rotten Tomato. You can have a million bad reviews on Rotten Tomato, but that is it going to stop people from going to see a movie? No, and I think things that gain traction are what's more believable. Because I know the more that I see something or I see more traction with it, then you look more into it. So I think if things are more flushed out, they'll get flushed out that way as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> interesting. I, I mean, so a couple of things. I, I, I would agree with Jamal. I mean, I don't think censorship would be welcome. I also know for certain the vast majority of state-funded schools couldn't even enforce that. So it would really have to be a, a private institution to do that. The other piece of it is as helpful and as, as beneficial as it may be to put it, things on social media and Twitter to get, you know, I guess the ball rolling. I do want to make sure just as someone who, who, who serves in student government, I do want to make sure that people are leveraging the proper channels and not going to social media first because there are, depending upon where you, where you are at Gremlin, there were things in place for students to be able to act on certain things, not everything, but I do think students should understand what resources you have available before going to the almighty social media, because that can just have some unintended consequences for how your university is perceived. Like you, you, you stated that if, I, if this is all I see about this school, you'll kind of say, well, you know, maybe I don't want to go there or, or you know, for some, some of those people who kind of champion uh, having gone to like a PWI and how that they would never go to an HBCU because it's raggedy and it's black, whatever else you you support or excuse me, you provide fuel for that argument, which I think is stupid to begin with. But nevertheless, that those people exist. 
So I, I do think that if if there are problems, check all the boxes before you just go to the megaphone that is social media and just kind of start blasting stuff because there may also be some things in, in the works that you aren't aware of. So out of context, now misinformation is being spread. And again, they can just have some unintended consequences to recruiting and just overall uh, morale at an HBCU. Mm. As much as I, I hate to even, I guess, bring light to this, I agree, but I also feel like that could be negating transparency. No, I was going to say, I think that it being that Twitter is such a robust platform for voicing your opinion, I think it promotes, you know, in huge air quotes, I think it promotes universities to be more forthcoming with plans. And I think with that, then you can hold universities accountable for these plans that they they may tell the faculty, may, may tell the um, student government association um, about these plans, but they don't tell the student body. And I think if, if they were more uh, forthright with plans and changes, then it, it almost is, it gives them a lane to, well, wait, yes, we understand that you have this issue, but you know, on their social media pages, it provides a lane for them to show what what things are in the works, what things uh, what things have changed in the past, you know, in the recent past. And if I just wanted to go on a tangent, it also could uh, provide a way to enlist those students who are in those fields to help promote those ideals. You know what I'm saying? Whether it be your marketing students, whether it be uh, your political science students, because then you're 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 creating a uh, a life cycle within your university. It's a way for you to help the students that are being affected be a part of the solution. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I know for me, back when I was in school, and it's it's not just. HBCU students who are creating hashtags and putting their universities on blast is across the entire country and it's just not you know HBCUs are not the only schools that have issues with housing or with the cafeteria or anything else like that but I me the stuff that I've seen when I was in school I have heard people like, hey, I went to the men, I went to office hours, I went to convocation to voice my concerns. All right, bet they don't hear me. Cool. I'm going to put y'all on blast. And that's the thing for me. It's kind of like you can't keep, oh, I'm going to fix it. 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 And you're telling people who are hurting or who are being affected that I'm going to fix it for the sake of them like, oh, all right, bet they're going to be quiet if I say I'm going to fix it it doesn't get fixed it's kind of like what else do you expect for me to do i'm going to sound the alarm i'm going to let other people know like hey y'all look over here this is happening because like i said had that hashtag or had that stuff not ever went viral with howard i would have never known about it yeah Yeah. i think though this is it's complicated right because i agree with jordan's point of you know, making sure that you go through the proper channels first. And the reason why I believe that is because on the back end, right, I've never worked in higher education. I've never worked for, you know, I don't know, even though I was involved at Spelman, I don't know what happens in the background with budgets and money and the way that things move, you know, the bureaucracy of it all. Um, And so on one hand, it's like, yes, the issue that you have is pressing and it's something that we should address. On the other hand, let's talk about money, right? HBCUs in particular are uniquely situated when it comes to finances because even the most popular, treasured, you know, highly esteemed HBCUs do not have the money that even touches, you know, even your your just okay PWIs. Um, and so when we start thinking about you know, how that money has to be used, how it has to be leveraged, who gave the money and how they intend for that money to be used. 
it's like, okay, you're really sometimes putting it between a rock and a hard place because they don't have it, you know, often. Now, when you do go to social media and they're faced, you know, with situations like they are at Howard University, they do magically find the money, um, (laughs) you know, to fix these situations. But it's like, I think all of us will be better off understanding how things move when these decisions are being made or not made. Um, But again, with social media, you often don't even really have the time to do that because before you blink your eyes, someone has already put it out there, you know, and it's catching on like wildfire. So it's complex, I think. Yeah, and and I, I would never encourage students to not go to social media at all. You know what I mean? It's just, again, more just an order of operation. Uh, like I, I would hate for, you know, like imagine, you know, you you are faculty and staff and all of a sudden you are hearing about an issue that you've never heard about. And it's coming from the New York Times or, you know, any other major news outlet because they picked it up because it it, it had amassed, you know, 100,000 retweets on Twitter. It's like, dang, I mean, they, they we have town halls that students don't show up for, so we didn't even know this was an issue. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that the fault is solely uh, with the, you know, faculty and staff. I do think that some of the living conditions that you know was reported by Howard is outright unacceptable, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that any HBCU or any still any university for that matter, school, higher education or otherwise, um, should be aware of that. Should should be aware of that and not doing, not working to actively solve. The problem. I, I just I don't think that's acceptable. But again, for other issues at other universities, because they're not all the same, they have different issues, they have different environments and different challenges. I just think that there, there needs to be a paper trail of all the things the students have done. So when we now go here, it's like uh, we didn't come out. We didn't come here out the blue. <laughs> this student government association president did this. This Senate passed this. This is. A, this has been a, uh, we've been voting on this for the past X amount of years and we haven't seen any change. Now we're pulling out the, the bullhorn. And, and, and again, I, I push that because change takes time, but I've saw some change happen in my time at, at, at Grammar and I wasn't even, you know, in SGA, but some of the bills that I passed went into effect years after. Some of the things that I was fortunate to do, uh, you know, tape cutting ceremonies for or unveiling ceremonies for were from previous administrations so things can happen and things can change but they, they do take time um so you know i i'm i may be somewhat biased to the the wheels of bureaucracy just because i've seen them work and i've also seen them fail but i just i still like to to try that that avenue first but isn't that why we're talking about transparency if both sides are transparent like kind of what Jamal was saying, people would know that these things are getting worked on, whether it was signed off on in 2001 and finished in 2008, because you would be updating, like, we're here now, this is where we are with this. So transparency on both sides. And I do think, I don't know, we might be past the, we go to this person and the town hall and all that. And like Dee said, it almost is like a school Yelp page where it's like, these are the issues. And the more people that agree with it, you'll see more issues. And those are the issues that might be brought forth to a higher power, but it's transparent for the person going, wanting to go to that school to be able to look at it and know what's really going on from the ground floor. So that's the transparency that I'm saying. And again, not just HBCUs, but all schools, because I think that's fair knowing, because what if you can't go on a school visit, but you can go to that school's page and you see what's really happening from the ground floor. And if it's not a big issue or only one person had that issue, you not it's not the same traction as if like, oh no, this has 517 likes or these many people are saying they have these issues. That is a real concern. So when you go to talk to that school, you can bring it up like, hey, um, I've heard this is an issue on your campus. What are y'all doing to solve this issue? Because I would want to know before sending my yeah. kid, they were going there even. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah, a hundred percent agree with it on the transparency piece. I, I I just would like to stress that there may be some avenues where people are being transparent, but you also have to, I guess you have to be willing to look and know where to look because outside of your major, and this is what I've seen on Instagram, just in my own experience, the Howard University page, like the, the university page, 
it's boatload of followers. Grammar, not so much. Spelman, boatload of followers. Uh, Fort Valley State, not so much. So also bear in mind that some of these universities could be putting out information, but people aren't looking there. So the transparency piece, it's, 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 it's still a two-way street. You know what I mean? Like I, I, can, I can yell from the bullhorn everything that we're doing from university updates and town hall meetings. But if I have a student population of 5,000 and 25 students show up. <laughs> but if the school has that on file, so when they come to them or report it, it's like, as a matter of fact, we've had this in effect since this date this is where we are with it. They would have their, it's almost like email traction. You CYA, you cover your ass, you have your date where you sent the information or you started it. And if anybody ever asked about it, you have your receipts. Isn't that again, transparency? If I'm a, I'm a, I'm a jump in front of your team. Um, As much as I hear your point, as far as being aware that, receipts are being provided and or uh, promissory notes being written. Um, We're in an age where the information needed to push a message to your phone, the same way they would give a active shooter alert on campus, they can give a active project alert. So schools don't have an and I say this loosely, but schools really don't have an excuse not to provide the students, the people that are paying to keep these schools going uh, with, with information. Like there, there, is no, there is no valid reason not to do such a thing. Like, it, it, like. Because even if you have a social media hmm, manager, they could reply yeah. to negative comments. Like, actually we have this in place like or whatever the case may be or they or a school can have a live event on ig where they have people is the same way people tap in the uh, verses if you if if you really care about an initiative or an issue you typically or i would assume make sure that you exhaust what's accessible to you so I would like to think most students have IG, Twitter, TikTok, something, Facebook. I think this is where the schools are going to have to pivot. We are in yeah. a different time. And it for some schools, some schools are more advanced and already on that wave. But the, some schools might need, this might be the time where you have to pivot and meet your students where they are. Because we are in that generation of apps and you need to have it readily available and constant like up-to-date information which is why they have social media managers and you have a whole marketing department that can be in charge of those things like again i kind of agree there's no excuse yeah like youtube being live on youtube you've got comments you got super users and now we're going to the question i have is why if you got a population of five thousand and only you saying five people showing up. Why is that though? Like, why do only five people feel like, okay, I can go to these meetings, let me hear. Cause I've been to one uh, a meeting before and I asked the question and my question got danced around like it was a, a damn hokey pokey. So it's kind of like, do students feel like, hmm, if I actually go to these meetings, will I get my answers? Or do they feel like oh, this is gonna be a whole bunch of BS and I'm not doing it. Here's the other piece. Here's the other piece. Um, And I can say this coming from someone who has student loans, which a lot of people listening probably do. Um, I just bought a house in July, right? Or we closed on our house over the summer, moved in in July. If I take out a loan to purchase a home or a mortgage, you know, I am going to expect that my investment in this debt, that for my investment in this debt, the house has met the conditions that I set forth or that I have agreed upon, right? Nobody's going to move into a, a, excuse my language, fucked up house and take out a sumptuous amount of money with the understanding that this house isn't what they have agreed to pay for, okay? There's a such thing as a fixer-upper, 
right? And most people who buy fixer uppers go into it knowing and understanding that they're going to have to put in more than what their initial investment is in order to make it better. Colleges and universities are not fixer uppers. I am students are 18 years old, 19 year, years old, getting into lifetimes worth of debt to go to these colleges and universities. It should not be their responsibility to show up on these campuses Preach. and to have to then, after giving you all of this money, continue to labor and toil to get their basic necessities met, right? Now, as a member of a college or a university, as a student and as an alum, yes, I want to end particularly around HBCUs, I am emotionally invested, right? Because yeah. I know the history of this this uh, college or university, and I know that I want to continue those histories and traditions, and I want it to live on. That emotional investment does not preclude that college or university from meeting the very basics of what I'm going into debt for, or what yeah. I am paying for, or what they're giving me a scholarship for. Yeah. And so... Yes, we can pass a bill, we can attend a meeting, we can do all of those things to better the college or university for future student bodies, but I don't have the time to wait. I have four years. And during those four years, I need whatever I am paying for to be satisfied during that time. And I think that that's the frustration, right? Yeah. Back then, people were cool with taking out student loans. It was kind of a way of life, a fact of life. Now, as we're watching millennials struggle to buy a house, struggle to buy a family, struggle to, you know, get a car or basic things that they need as adults because of the amount of debt they took on as teenagers, we're looking back like, damn, what was that investment for? Certainly not just for this piece of paper. You can get that Man. anywhere. Man. I'm still trying to figure it out. I still want to refund. Can I get a refund? But I went to a PWI. Yeah. I'm just saying. I still yeah, want to You refund. can get a piece of paper anywhere. So, you know, you can get a degree anywhere. Um, but I am not going to go into a situation that is going to fundamentally alter my life financially and to have to beg you to do the bare minimum. I don't think that's fair. That's not fair. No, it's it's not, and I, I think what you said was is the best I've ever heard it. To be frank, that we don't do that same litmus test on you know a hundred thousand dollars in student loans when you go to a university, uh, because it's kind of understood or expected that if I'm paying for it, if I'm if I'm paying five thousand for my dorm room, I, I at least shouldn't have to deal with no mold. <laughs> So, no, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. There should and, be a standard of living that is met for all universities, not just HBCUs, even right. though that those are the ones that hit closest to home for the collectors. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I just, it, like, how you put it, D, was... Yeah, that was like... Chef's kiss. <laughs> that was kiss. it. <laughs> because that, that's, that is, that in fact is Their the duty. situation. It's... <laughs> We had you had we want you to pay for this and told you you're gonna have this, but then when the product shows up, it's like, well, wait a minute. Because what am I really paying because for then? There is no refund process. And that's and that is and that is the issue. No, and in like a real apartment, if that was the case, you could not pay rent and it would be justified, yeah. but you've already prepaid for this dorm exactly. situation and yet there's no solution and again like you said you have four years like there's no well it, we sign this up and you'll get it in eight years what about my four years so i'm paying right. it forward now i need something like that i can live in and and if and you know it may be a solution which i know this is far-fetched but i'm a dreamer and maybe a solution would be that if if at the end of that semester you have claims that you can back up with, you know, uh, pictures, uh, basically receipts. They, they refund. They they basically refund you a portion of the tuition that you paid. Treat it like an apartment. Exactly, because if if you didn't get the product as it was promised by the university, then because they will charge you if you mess something up. Though. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. They charge you. They charge you for the mm -hmm. damn transcript. They charge you for a book. 
They charge you $25 for a transcript. They, they, they $25 is a box of paper. Not one, not them three sheets you got. Oh, and that, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm like, man, look, bro, you keep charging me $25 for something that I gave you 50 to a half a million dollars. And that you knew I was going to need when I graduated from here to get jobs. Like, like, you knew I was going to need this. These paywalls, this is this should not be only, only fans. <laughs> All these paywalls. Now okay. I got to cut it out. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And you know, Tink, I did want to circle back to the question that you asked just with my own, uh, I guess, assumption to the, you know, to the answer. Because I don't, I don't know, you know, why more students don't attend, you know, town hall meetings or, or things of that nature. Because, I, I mean, even the event that you attended of the, of the Spelman College population, how much do you think was represented in the town hall that you went to? Um, I've... I don't know. That was many moons ago. Maybe no more than thirty. I don't think. And that's and 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 I'm sure there are more than than thirty valid questions or opinions that exist at Spelman College. So you know, I I don't know why students don't do that, but I, I would like to encourage you know people to do to to leverage that uh, because I I think that if you have been going and they keep giving you the hokey pokey to run around, at that point, okay, yeah, I, I don't fault you for not going, but if you've never been before. At least give it a go because I've been to some helpful town halls personally, and I've, I've seen some some unhelpful town halls uh, as well. So, you know, I don't think it's a, a one size fits all. But you know, again, it's just it's just another avenue I think people could push for or or leverage. But um, yeah, D, I, I I want you to be my university president when we open up. You know, <laughs> but I think maybe. Uh, the town hall thing would be a, a, a pivot or a, could be the Instagram lives because if you can't show up, you have somewhere else to be, you might have a job, you might have whatever, but you can still participate, meaning there's comments you can get where you can talk directly to the people, the panel, or whatever. So both sides can still be heard, but yet it's available everywhere. You could even have parties where your friends come over and y'all interact with it or do it together. I think you might universities might get more traction that way. But And also, if they did the town halls in a, uh, I'm going to say, more technologically forward manner, like with the YouTube Live, I, and I could have this platform wrong, but I'm almost certain there's a way to where you can donate, like you can be super chat, you can actually put money in the pot. So if it was made, if it was done in a way that alumni had the ability to see what's going on, to see, hear the issues firsthand, that would be a way to, oh, you know, that's that shouldn't be that way. Let me yeah. put a hundred dollars in the pot. Let me put five dollars in the pot. Yeah. Because then yeah. you're 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 being proactive and active in the pursuit of a res- resolution for those who are currently going through whatever struggles that may be present. Yeah, and in the technological range because a lot of people graduated virtually last year, so they got the they got the technology. Yeah. Who don't have their phone in their hand? It's switching from one live you was watching to another, like most likely. Phone, <laughs> tablet, or streaming device. Yeah. And yeah. YouTube follow on all those. Well, there were two things, and the second one to kind of take the conversation to. I think the, the more of the third prong, but the first piece, and maybe I'm a cynic, but I like to look at the practicality of of some of this. Most students are not going if they look on if they're on Instagram, they're not worried about what the university's saying. They worry about what's going on on the shade room or otherwise. So your university might be going live, but <laughs> what am I going to? I mean, why would I tap into that? And I, I think that's probably the the vast majority of students, but not to dwell on that as, as much as the next point. As much as we expect, you know, faculty and staff to do what has been what's expected of them, and 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 beyond that, and how we want students to get involved and everything else, I do think Dee's point about I'm only going to be there for four years. That may not be where your story ends, and I think as alumni, we can still kind of hold some faculty and staff's feet to the fire. I'm going to see you at homecoming, and I want to see these benches that we voted on last year, or that y'all said y'all was going to be you know, uh, bring it to the campus or I want to see these dorms look different or I want to see these dorms cleaner or more trash pickups or whatever it might be. 
I do think alumni play a, a role in, in that accountability piece because there may be some things that your freshman year or excuse me, your freshman class or even that sophomore class wasn't privy to that was coming down the pipe because it was voted on or agreed to six or seven years ago. So I, I do think as alumni, we have to, or we should um, stay in the loop, you know, be active in our, in our alumni associations, continue to give back. We know whatever that might be, if that's uh, financially, or if that's just offering uh, job services, tips, mentorship, whatever it is to, you know, send to those students there. But I do think alumni also has a role to play. Yeah, and check your emails because Feldman sends out emails and surveys all the time, and they get my feedback. This is y'all send y'all all right. I give y'all my feedback. This is what I feel, but it's kind of like no institution is perfect, unfortunately. But it's it's always room for growth, and as alum, it's up to us because our HBCU endowment is not as big as the Harvards, the Emory's, like these other huge schools. So it's important for us to give back, even though if I see something that I don't like, like all right, Spellman, here go my survey. Here, this is how I feel about it. They'll have town halls. And then even like Jordan said, the Alumni Association. I, when I was living in Charlotte, I was heavily involved in that, you know, connecting with students who wanted to go to Spelman, going to different high schools, you know, letting people know about it and stuff like that. So I think it's very, very, very important, even though, you know, stuff probably went down when we were in school, like, you know, as far as in housing and all the other stuff happened, but it's still so important to be involved as an alum so that we can have a hand in our institutions getting better. Yeah, um, and, and, I, and I think, you know, what we have done, I'm sure you know, people that listen are like, they're saying all this stuff, you know, but you know, what, what, what do they have to, to do? What steps have we made? I mean, I, I know I, I donate on a regular basis to Grammar State University. And also we work together uh, as a collective to, provide scholarship funding to HBC, to uh, students attending HBCUs through the Harvey Wilder uh, Foundation. So, you know, as alumni, we, we are, you know, working to hold up our end of the bargain uh, because we all still have work to do. And it, it's not just on one person, it's not just one generation, it's not just one particular class or one HBCU, but as a community, we do have work to do to, to better our HBCUs and to also sustain them. And I think we, we're, we're leveraging you know, the Harvey Wilder Foundation as a vehicle to, to do just that. And you all learn about the Harvey Wilder Foundation in a very special episode next week. No diggity. No diggity. Man, that's, it's, you know, hopefully, and, you know, in the, the near future, universities will use um, or will continue to exhaust the platforms that are available and not uh, be pigeonheld by the traditions that have worked in the past, because I think that has a bit to do with it as well is, um, I, I think, and I stress to think that one issue could very well be that the faculties um, age could be an issue. You know what I'm saying? You, you, there may not be enough youthful blood in the mix for these ideas of uh, forward thinking to actually be implemented or presented in a way um, that, that they could even be heard. Um, you know, just thinking about the times that I've popped on the uh, gram.edu website, I don't, I don't see a lot of people that seemingly look to be in my age range, that that 30s age range. And I think in order for, in order for you to, I guess, be the glue or bridge the gap between the older alumni and the current students, I think you have to kind of be that middle child um, in, a, in a sense to be able to understand both sides of it. Know that uh, change, change takes time, but also know that you have to provide some type of proof that something is happening 
because I think for the the younger generation, they don't believe, you know, they don't believe words. They need to, they need something tangible to cling to in order for their anxiety or frustrations to somewhat subside. Um, and I think that's that's an area that um, the HBCU, it, that the college and university system needs to move towards is, is keeping youth amongst their ranks in order for them not to lose sight of what's important to the current students. Mm -hmm. And it's good to be that middle child between uh, the institution. Man. And I will say, don't just take your degree and be like, all right, bet I got my degree, I'm out. Like, like uh, Dee said, we paid a lot of money for this degree. Y'all gonna see me until you can't see me no more. Man, look, I'm in the mix. I am in the mix. In the you can't bowl. get rid of me. You are not getting rid of me. You're going to hear everything, and I'm going to help the best way that I can. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And and that, that help can it can come you know also um, keeping the faculty staff speak to the fire, but also just opening a restaurant and calling it slutty vegan and being the change that you want to see in your community. Like you know, I I, I think what what you know Clark alumni has done is is awesome, and you know I think there's there's other there's other work being done by alumni as well. You know I'm not you know, I'm not just saying it's just her, but there's also alumni that's not doing anything, so we could all do more. Uh, and I, I would just, I would encourage and stand for all of us to, to step it up and do uh, step it up a bit as we as we go forward, so we can celebrate another 200 years and 200 years plus of our HBCUs. Because uh, some of them getting, they're getting older, they're getting old, and it's good stuff. Uh, but we gotta, we are, we as the, as the guard changes and the the older people that uh, Jamal that you mentioned. As they fade, we got to be able to take over the reins and yeah. guide it in the right direction. Yeah. The, the changing of the guard must also include continuity. Yeah. Well, I think that's another episode of Unapologetically HBCU. As uh, Tink mentioned earlier, we'll have a new episode in your feed coming here shortly for Giving Tuesday. Uh, we do um, ask for your support. We do appreciate your continued support uh, for our child listeners. Uh, follow us on all the socials, and if you haven't yet, tap that subscribe button. Tap, 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 tap in. All right. All right. Get the D. Get the D. Peace. And hair grease. Chicken grease. Servus. <laughs>